Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Hi, and welcome to Sorceress, a podcast where I chat with authors and audiobook narrators about books and especially audiobooks in the urban fantasy category. If you dig wisecracking wizards, conflicted lycanthropes, antagonistic undead, and all those other things that go bump in the night and then get bumped back, you're in the right place. So make yourself comfortable, salt the doors and the windowsills, and join me, James Anderson Foster, as we get to know the creators of this fascinating genre. So in this week's episode, we're in for a huge treat. This week, we have the first five chapters of Demon Moon, book one in the Prof Croft series. Now, I'm absolutely certain if you haven't listened to this yet, when you do, you're going to love it as much as I do. Uh, the world is familiar, but just unfamiliar enough that kind of makes you do an audible double take. The magic system is fresh and interesting, very well thought out, and the story is absolutely gripping. I mean, I think really the worst part about this is that you're only getting the first five chapters and then you're hooked. You gotta go get the rest, and not just the rest of this book, but the rest of the series. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, as usual, link to the book is in the show notes. Here's James Patrick Cronin with Brad Magnarella's Demon Moon. Chapter One I blew out a curse as the first cold droplets of rain pelted my face and punched through my magic, as if I wasn't already running late. Making an umbrella of my coat collar, I stooped into a run, skirting bags of garbage that swelled from the fronts of row houses like pustules. But it was no use. The downpour that blackened the sidewalk and drove rats from the festering piles also broke apart my hunting spell. And it had been one of my better ones. I took refuge on a crumbling porch and shook out my coat. I was in the pit of the East Village, and it stunk. Except for a flicker of streetlight, the block was midnight dark, the building across the way a brick shell, hollowed out by arson. Not the domicile of the conjurer I needed to stop, or more likely save assuming I could find him now. Seguire, I said in a low, thrumming voice. Most hunting spells worked like a dousing rod, pulling the user toward the source of something. In this case, taboo magic. But reliable hunting spells, such as those needed to navigate New York's convoluted streets, required time to prepare. And even then, they were delicate. Seguire, I repeated, louder. Though the storm was already sweeping off, the spell refused to take shape again. I swore under my breath. Magic and moving water made poor bedfellows. And here I dropped a fat hundred on the booster. Ground narwhal tusk. Sunk cost, I thought bitterly, as I hustled back to the sidewalk. There were a lot of those in wizardry, my svelte wallet the proof. 
Splashing in the direction I'd been pulled before the cloud burst, I gave up on the hunting spell and resorted to 20-20 vision, scanning passing buildings for signs of life. As the sidewalks thickened with larger mounds of garbage, the rats became more territorial. I knocked aside several with my walking cane. The soul eaters that hunkered like shadows in the below-ground stairwells weren't quite so bold. They watched with hollow eyes before shrinking from the protective power of my necklace in search of weaker, drug-addled prey. Luckily for them, post-crash New York was a boomtown for chemical addiction. Unfortunately for me, the financial crash had also made a growth stock of amateur conjurers. They tended to be men and women seeking lost money or means, or simply some meaning where their prior faith, whether spiritual or material, seemed to have failed them. Understandable, certainly, but as far as my work went, a royal pain in the ass. Most mortals could only access the nether realms, and shallowly at that. In their fat-fingered efforts, they called up grubby creatures better left undisturbed. One's more inclined to make a sopping meal of a conjurer's heart than grant his material wishes. Trust me, it wasn't pretty. Neither was the job of casting the charming beings back to their realms, but it was the job I'd been decreed. I had some nice acid burns and a missing right earlobe to prove it. A business card might have read, Everson Croft, Wizard Garbage Collector. Nice, huh? But unlike the city's striking sanitation workers, I couldn't just walk off the job. Small messes became big messes, and in magical terms, that was a recipe for ruin. The apocalyptic kind. Better to scoop up the filth, drop it down the hatch, and batten down the lid. Plenty of ancient evils lurked in the deep down, their senses attuned to the smallest openings to our world. Human history was dotted with near misses, thanks in part to the vigilance of my lineage. The thought of being the one to screw up that streak was hell on a good night's sleep, let me tell you. At Avenue C, I rounded a small mountain of plowed trash and shuffled to a stop. A new scent was skewering the vaporous reek, hooking like a talon in my throat. A sickly sweet scent, like crushed cockroach, or... Fear spread through me as I raised my eyes toward the source. A steep apartment building with a pair of lights burning near the top floor. Dark magic dissipated above the building in a blood-red haze. I was too late. And whatever the conjurer had summoned was no cockroach. Crap, I spat and launched into a run. The smell was distinctly demonic. Chapter Two I stumbled into a blacked-out lobby, raised my ironwood cane, and uttered, Illuminare. White light swelled from an opal inset in the cane's end to reveal an upended concierge's desk and graffiti-smeared walls. The single elevator door opposite me was open. I moved toward it, noting the message sprayed over the burned-out elevator lights. Step right in with an arrow inviting riders into a carless shaft. I peeked down the two-story plunge to a sub-basement, where I could hear something large thump dragging around. 
No thanks. I hit the stairwell and took the steps two at a time. The cloying smell from the street sharpened in my sinuses, making my eyes water. I had smelled demon before, but in Eastern Europe, years ago. The near-death experience had marked my passage into wizardhood, in a way. But no, never here. Not in New York. Which meant a seriously evil conjurer had slipped under the Order's watchful gaze. I considered sending up a message, but that would take energy I couldn't afford at the moment. Not to mention time. The oracular order of magi and magical beings was an esteemed and ancient body. Accordingly, they made decisions at a pace on par with the Mendenhall Glacier. That, and I was still on their iffy list for what had happened ten years earlier, during the aforementioned demonic encounter. Never mind that my actions, which, okay, had involved summoning an incubus spirit, saved my life, or that I was only 22 at the time. So, yeah, the less contact with the Order, the better, I'd since learned. Between the third and fourth floors, the stairwell began to vibrate. At the fifth floor, the one on which I'd observed the lights from the outside, the vibrating became a hammering. I pulled the stairwell door open onto a stink of hard diesel and understood the commotion's source, a gas-powered generator. At the hallway's end, light outlined a door. I was halfway to the door when a woman's scream pierced the tumult. Jerking my cane into two parts, I gripped a staff in my left hand and a steel sword in my right. A shadow grew around the door a second before it banged open. The man was six foot ten, easy, Blades of black tattooing scaled his pin-pierced face, giving over to an all-out ink fight on his shaved scalp. Leather and spiked studs stretched over powerful arms holding what looked like a pump-action shotgun. The sorcerer's bodyguard? He inclined forward, squinting into the dim hallway. The screaming behind him continued, accompanied now by angry beats and the wail of a guitar. I exhaled and sheathed my sword. Punks. The literal kind. Hey. Tattoo face boomed as I retreated back toward the stairwell. You're missing a kick-ass set. Blade's only on till two. Then, as a further inducement, half cover, since you got here late. I sniffed the air but the generator's fumes were still clouding over the demon smell. I couldn't fix on a direction. I returned to Tattoo Face, shouting to be heard. Do you live here? He shrugged as he lowered the shotgun. Live? Squat? Seen anyone strange in the building? I peered past him into the hazy room of headbangers, the pink-haired singer-screamer, Blade, I presumed, standing on the hearth of a bricked-over fireplace. I decided to rephrase the question. Anyone who looks like they don't belong? Behind all of his ink, the punk's face was surprisingly soft, almost boyish. But it hardened as I stepped more fully into the generator-powered light. I followed his gaze down to where my tweed jacket and dark-knit tie peeked from the parting flaps of my trench coat. Beneath his own jacket, he was wearing a bandolier of shotgun shells. 
You a narc or something? He asked. I shook my head. Just looking for someone. His eyes fell further to my walking cane, which, not to polish my own brass, was at definite odds with someone six feet tall and in his apparent prime. My hairline had receded slightly, but still. Tattoo face frowned studiously, as though still undecided if he could trust me. I help people, I added. After another moment, he nodded. Strange guy showed up a couple of weeks ago, hauled a big trunk upstairs. He raised his eyes. Unit right above ours. Talks to himself. Same things, over and over. I sprinted back to the stairwell, not bothering with the usual pretense of a trick knee to explain the cane. Tattoo face seemed not to notice. Blades on till two, he shouted after me. I raised a hand in thanks for the reminder, but I was still mulling the talks-to-himself part. The over and over sounded like chanting. Add them up, and I'd found my conjurer. Chapter 3 On the sixth floor, the demon stink was back, and gut-rottingly potent. I called more light to my cane and advanced on the door at hallway's end, weathered floorboards creaking underfoot. The knob turned in my grasp, but one or more bolts were engaged. Crouching, I sniffed near the dark door space and immediately regretted the decision. Holy hell, I whispered against my coat sleeve. The sickly sweet scent burned all the way up to my brain, like ammonia. Drawing the sword from my cane, I pointed it at the door and uttered, Vigore. A force shot down the length of the blade and snapped the bolts. The door blew inward. With another incantation, the light from my staff slid into a curved shield. I crouched, ready for anything. But except for the vibrating coming from one floor down, the space beyond the door was still and silent. I tested the threshold with the tip of my sword. It broke the plane cleanly, which meant no warding spells. Odd. I entered, sword and glowing staff held forward. The unit was a restored tenement that, like many in the East Village, had been written off in the crash's rumbling wake and left to die. Shadows climbed and fell over a newspaper-littered living room. I crept past sticks of curbside furniture and a spill of canned goods, before ducking beneath a line of hanging boxer briefs. Still damp. Hardly the evil sorcerer sanctum I'd imagined. I stuck my light into one of the doorless bedrooms, the silence tense against my eardrums. A thin roll-up mattress lay slipshod on a metal bed frame. Dirty sheets puddled around its legs. A cracked window framed the bombed-out ruin of a neighboring building. When a pipe coughed, I wheeled, my gaze falling to a crowded plank and cinder block bookcase. In the light of my staff, I scanned book spines that might as well have read Amateur Conjurer. Abrahamic texts, including a Bible, gave way to dime store spell books and darker tomes, but without organization. Spaghetti shots in the dark, someone looking for power or answers. 
So where had the demon come from? More crucially, where had it gone? In the neighboring bedroom, I flinched as my gaze met my own hazel eyes in a mirror on the near wall. Gonna give myself a freaking heart attack. Opposite the mirror, an oblong table held a scatter of spell-cooking implements. A Bunsen burner stood on one end, its line snaking to a tipped-over propane tank. Beside the tank, a pair of legs protruded. I rounded the table and knelt beside the fallen conjurer. Parting a spill of dark, greasy hair, I took in a middle-aged male face with Coke bottle glasses that had fallen askew, magnifying his whiskered right cheek. I recognized some of the conjurers in the city, or thought I did, and I'd never seen this guy. I straightened his glasses and patted his cheek firmly. Hey, I whispered. The man choked on a snort, then fell back into his mind-shattered slumber. He was alive anyway. I raised my light to the protective circle the man had chalked on the floorboards and no doubt stood inside while casting his summoning spell. A common mistake. Chalk made fragile circles, and a circle only protected spellcasters capable of instilling them with power. That excluded most mortals, who weren't designed to channel, much less direct, the lay energies of this world. They can damn sure act as gateways to other worlds, though. My gaze shifted to a second circle near the table's far end, this one with a crude pentagram drawn inside. From a toppled pile of ash and animal entrails, a glistening residue slid into an adjacent bathroom. Crap. I felt quickly beneath the man's army surplus jacket and exhaled as my hand came back dry. The only reason he wasn't dead or mortally wounded was the recentness of the spell. Demonic creatures summoned from deeper down underwent a period of gestation, usually in a dark, damp space, to fortify their strength. They emerged half-blind, drawn by the scent of the conjurer's vital organs, from which they derived even more potency. That I'd arrived before that had happened was to my advantage. I hoped. Rising, I crept toward the bathroom. Chapter 4 the trail turned dark red over the bathroom's dingy tiles, gobbets of black matter glistening in its wake. By now, I was more or less desensitized to the smell, thank God. Through the half-open door, my light shone over a dripping faucet. The end of a freestanding tub glowed beyond. With a foot, I edged the door wider. The trail climbed the side of the tub, spread into a foul puddle, then climbed again this time into a torn-out section of tiling between the shower head and the hot and cold spigots down below. I adjusted my slick grip on the sword handle. The creature was inside the wall. My sword hummed as I channeled currents of lay energy. With a vigore, I thrust the sword toward the hole. Tile and plaster exploded over my light shield in a dusty wave. A keening cry went up. In the exposed wall, wedged behind oozing pipes, I saw it. The creature had enfolded its body with a pair of membranous black wings. From a skull-sharp head of bristling hair, a pair of albino white eyes stared blindly. 
Before I could push the attack, the creature screamed again. The jagged sound became a weapon. Waves as sharp as the creature's barbed teeth pierced my thoughts and fractured my casting prism. I was dealing with a shrieker, a lower demonic being, but ridiculously deadly, even to wizards. My light shield wavered in front of me, then burst in a shower of sparks. The energetic release thrust me backwards as the room fell dark, my right heel catching the threshold. A squelch sounded, followed by the shallow splash of the thing dropping into the tub. I flailed for balance but went down. My right elbow slammed into the floor, sending a numbing bolt up and down my arm. When metal clanged off behind me, I realized I'd lost my sword. Beyond my outstretched legs, claws scrabbled over porcelain. I kick-scooted away, sweeping an arm back for my weapon. Wings slapped the air, the wet sound swallowed by the shrieker's next cry. Abandoning my search, I thrust my staff into the darkness above my face. The end struck something soft. A claw hooked behind my right orbital bone before tearing away, missing my eyeball by a breath. I felt the shrieker flap past me, still clumsy in its just-summoned state. No doubt going for the conjurer. But if I was going to stop it, I had to do something about the damned screaming. Blood dribbled down the side of my face as I sat up. Praying the shrieker wasn't rounding back on me, I jammed a finger into each ear. With the screaming muted, I repeated a centering mantra. Within seconds, the mental prism through which I converted lay energy into force and light reconstituted. A white orb swelled from the end of my staff, illuminating the apartment once more. I quickly touched the staff to each ear, uttering words of power. Shields of light energy covered them like muffs, blocking out the shrieker's cries. I scooped up my sword and raised both sword and staff, expecting to find the shrieker hunched over the splayed-out conjurer. But the conjurer was alone, the shrieker nowhere in sight. The animal entrails were missing from the summoning circle, though, meaning it had fed. Not good. I raised my light toward the windows to ensure they were still intact. Remembering the blown-open front door, I hurried to the main room, terrified the creature had gotten out and into the city's six-million-person buffet. I ducked beneath the clothesline and felt the newspapers at my feet gusting up. I spun to find the abomination flapping at my face. Vigore! I cried. The wave-like force from my sword blasted the shrieker into a corner of the ceiling. It dropped onto a radiator, then tumbled wetly to the floor. I repeated the word, but the shrieker scrabbled behind a wooden chair and darted into the bedroom. The chair blew apart in its stead. I pursued, and, guessing the creature's next move, aimed my staff at the near window. Protezione! The light shield that spread over the glass held long enough for the shrieker to bounce from it. The shrieker launched itself at the window beside it, but I cast first. More sparks fell away as it beat its wings up and down the protected window like a flailing moth. You're not going anywhere, you little imp. Only it wasn't so little anymore. The bed jumped when the shrieker dropped onto the headboard, taloned feet gripping the metal bar. The white call over its eyes was thinning too, goat-like pupils peering out. 
As I crept nearer, the creature's appearance stirred in me equal parts fascination and revulsion. Its wings spread to reveal a wrinkled body mapped in throbbing black vessels. Okay, now it was just revulsion. The Shrieker put everything into its next scream. The light energy over my right ear broke apart. A sensation like shattered glass filled my head. Hunching my shoulder to my naked ear, I threw my weight into a sword thrust and grunted as hot fluid sprayed over me. The Shrieker fell silent, staring at me as though trying to comprehend what I had done. Its eyes fell to the sword, which had skewered its chest and driven a solid inch into the wall behind it. But it wasn't enough to physically wound such creatures. They had to be dispersed. Disfare, I shouted, concentrating force along the blade. The Shrieker's wings trembled, then began to flail. Unfortunately, the more power it took to summon a creature into our world, the more power it required to send it back. And the homeless appearance of the Conjurer aside, some damned powerful magic had called this thing up. Disfare, I repeated louder. The Shrieker thrashed more fiercely, the terry fluid that bubbled from its mouth drowning its hideous cry but its form remained intact. And I was pushing my limits, a lead-like fatigue beginning to weigh on my limbs. The Shrieker's wings folded down, and a pair of bat-like hands seized the blade. What the? The creature gave a pull and skewered itself toward me. Hey, stop that, I yelled pointlessly. I pressed my glowing staff against its chin, but with another tug, the Shrieker was an inch closer. It snapped at my staff with gunky teeth, then swiped with a clawed hand, narrowly missing my reared back face. I considered ditching my sword, but then what? I wasn't dealing with flesh and blood here. The second the Shrieker came off the hilt, it would reconfigure itself, becoming larger and more powerful. And if it overwhelmed me, the Conjurer would be next followed by the headbangers one floor down. An image of the party as a bloody scene of carnage jagged through my mind's eye. Disfare, I boomed. A tidal wave of energy burst from my mental prism, shook down the length of my arm, through my sword, and then out the creature. I squeezed my eyes closed as the creature's gargling shriek cut off and an explosion of foul-smelling ectoplasm nearly knocked me down. There was a reason I'd waterproofed my coat, and it wasn't for the shiny look. I opened my eyes to a steamy, tar-spattered room and exhaled. The shrieker was gone, cast back to its hellish pit. But at a price. The edges of my thoughts swam in creamy waves, a sensation that heralded the impending arrival of Thelonious. That incubus spirit I called up a decade ago? He was still around, clinging to my spirit like a parasite. Despite that he was thousands of years old, I pictured him as a cool cat in black shades and a glittering fro, probably because he shared a name with a famous musician. And my Thelonious had a jazzy way about him. As long as I didn't push my limits, I could keep him at bay. Cross that line and I became a vessel for Thelonious's, ahem, festivities. And, yeah, 
I'd just crossed that line. More creamy waves washed in. I would have to work quickly. The demonic gunk was evaporating as I drew my sword from the wall. I cleaned the blade against the thigh of my coat, resheathed it, and then returned to the fallen conjurer. Still out. I shone my light over his table, pocketing samples of spell ingredients for later study. But where, oh where, is the recipe? I muttered. I stopped at the flaky ashes of what appeared to have been a piece of college-ruled paper. The spell must have contained an incineration component, meant to destroy evidence of its origin. Naturally. Sliding my cane into the belt of my coat, I stooped for the conjurer. Up you go, I grunted. His head lolled as I carried him into the bedroom. I set him on the mattress, arranged his arms and legs into a semblance of order, then shook out the sheet and spread it over him. His mortal mind was blown, but not beyond repair. I touched my cane to the center of his brow and uttered ancient words of healing. He murmured as a cottony light grew from the remaining power in the staff. The healing would take time, which was just as well. In a few more minutes, I wouldn't be in much shape to question him. I'll be back in a couple of days, I told the snoring man. The creamy waves crested, spilling into my final wells of free will. There was no good place to go now except away from people. I was turning to leave when my, or I should say Thelonious's gaze, fell to the space beneath the bed. A half-full bottle of tannic liquid leaned against one of the legs. I felt my lips stretch into a grin. Bourbon, Thelonious purred in his bass voice. My final memory of that night, the fire of alcohol in my throat, was tottering down a hallway toward a shaking generator and the siren screams of a pink-haired punker named Blade. Oh, yeah. Chapter 5 Swollen eyelids cracked open onto a room wallpapered in album jackets and cast in the gray light of morning. I was on a mattress on the floor, no doubt in the punk rocker's apartment. I managed to extricate my naked torso from a tangle of sheets and sit up. The room revolved making my brain hurt. Sweet Jesus, I muttered, dragging a hand through my salt-stiff hair, then clamping my temples. A mean smell of smoke lingered in my sinuses, and beneath it, the cloying stink of last night's shrieker. Not a pleasant combo, especially when you threw in a cheap 80-proof hangover. At least the apartment was quiet. Everyone probably still asleep. I drew the sheets from my legs. Evidently, I'd managed to retain my boxers and a single gray sock. That didn't always happen. Oh, wait. I looked again. The sock wasn't mine. Time to go. I stood and began shuffling around in search of my clothes and cane. My goal was to get at least ten blocks away before anyone awakened. Lord only knew what Thelonious had gotten up to last. Morning, a woman's voice said. 
I wheeled to find pink spikes of hair jutting from a narrow tube of bedding at the mattress's far side. The hair framed a face that, despite its resting surliness and dozens of painful-looking piercings, possessed a hard beauty. My cheeks burned with blood. Did we? Had we? She must have read my panic. Relax. Thin, tattoo-stained arms emerged from the sheets and stretched overhead. She continued to speak as she yawned. I don't do charity cases. I felt my brow furrow. Charity? She smacked on the last of her yawn. I did fix your eye, though. My hand floated to where the shrieker had gouged me. The place beside my right brow was padded with gauze and tape. Thanks, I said. Your stuff's over there. She jutted her spade-shaped chin, also pierced, at a wooden dresser in the corner. My clothes were folded neatly on top, my cane lying horizontally over the stack. But let's get one thing straight. You were responsible for the striptease, not me. Not knowing how to respond, I nodded meekly. I heard her resettle on the mattress. Hey, listen, I said, shaking out my trousers and stepping into them. I'd already swapped the gray sock for my own. Blade, right? Whatever I did last night, Blade, I'm really sorry. I'm not normally like that. I buckled up and patted my pockets, relieved to feel my wallet and keys. That didn't always happen either. I don't know too many who are, Blade said in a smoky voice. You're a real original. What exactly did... Forget it. I don't want to know. She smiled mysteriously and propped her elbows behind her. So, what's your name? Inventing one felt like too much work. Everson, I replied. And where does Everson dwell? West Village. I jerked my head, though I had no idea which direction was which. Really? Interest glinted in her dark eyes as she watched me configure my tie into a Windsor knot. You strike me as, I don't know. More midtown? When you're sober, anyway. I actually... A dreadful realization struck me. I grabbed my mechanical watch from the dresser and stared at its face. Oh, crap. What's the matter? I'm late. I snatched up my coat and cane and made for the door. For what? Blade was sitting up now, sheets pressed to her stark breastbone. My morning class. Her brow wrinkled. You're a student? No, I called back. Professor. And as always, a very special shout out to our Patreon patrons. There's C. Stephen Manley, Colleen O'Malley Jackson, Mike Johnson, Audiobooks After Dark, Zachary McElroy, and Dogan Foster. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to lend your support and get your name mentioned at the end of an episode like this, 
all you have to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash sorceress and sign up to support us at the wisecracking wizarding level or higher. Thank you so much. And that's it for this time. Thanks for dropping by. We really hope you enjoyed it and will come back and see us again. You can find Sorceress on iTunes, Stitcher, and our website, Sorceress. That's S-O-R-C-E-R-O dot U-S. And you can find me at jamesnarrates.com, where you'll find a list of audiobooks, demos, and all the usual stuff. If you're enjoying Sorceress, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, and if you're really enjoying it, it'd be mighty kind of you to drop a buck or two in the kitty. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com forward slash sorceress, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash jamesnarrates. Any support, no matter how small, is greatly appreciated, and it'll help us keep on keeping on. So until next time, when things go bump in the night, remember to bump back.